Hi, and welcome to the Radius Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in finding out more information about Radius Church, please check us out on our website, radiuschurch.tv. Amen. Well, I thought what I'd do is just dive right in, so let me give us all a working definition of the word chaos as we talk about a culture in chaos. So here's chaos. Chaos, watch this. Now, right off the bat, don't turn this into an agenda, all right, everybody? Chaos is complete disorder and confusion. Now, hold on right there. Let me give you an example of what I mean by not turning it into your agenda. I could preach this verse in certain crowds and in certain conservative Christian groups, and I could talk about, from my own upbringing, I could start talking about how the world is lost, and the, I grew up hearing this statement, forgive me for a minute, but the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Anybody ever heard that? Well, how in the world can I love a world that I'm criticizing? Come on now. If I shut them out, then I no longer... So that's not what this is about. I'm not up here to talk about how bad culture is, although there's some truth to that. I'm up here really to talk about how good God is in the midst of a culture that Jesus himself said is going to get worse. So with that in mind, chaos is complete disorder. Has anybody ever felt that in the last two years? Mm-hmm. There's some confusion. Have you ever felt that in your own home, in your own marriage, in your own head? You, you know, right? <laughs> Thank you, Mark. Appreciate the honesty. We're off to a good start. Now watch this. Behavior so unpredictable as to appear random. If that's not our target, friends, if, if that doesn't explain it all, wow, I think the definition just fits the society. As a culture, we are living in a crazy, chaotic culture right now. This definition really applies. I can't speak for the world, but I can speak for America. If I can't speak for America, I can certainly speak for my state. If I can't speak for my state, I can for sure talk about the community I live in, right? And so the, the world is, is in chaos right now. It's like the world is just begging and looking and grasping for answers to things like the pandemic and things greater than the pandemic and all those social hot buttons. And, and so here's some questions. I'm, I'm going to start this series with just a number of questions. How do we stay stable in a culture that is chaotic? Mm-hmm. How, how do we do that? You see, the church is not supposed to be a subculture, but the church, God created the church to be a counterculture. Let me explain. A subculture is anything that you do within your culture, like a hobby or a group of people getting together, a subculture. So just here's a simple one. If you're a golfer and you meet every Tuesday night to golf with your buddies and you got all the golf gear and all the golf stuff and all the golf lingo, then you're a part of a subculture within the culture, okay? The church is not supposed to be another subculture within our culture. We are to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth, so we are to be a counterculture, an alternative, maybe even influencing the culture we're in. If you think, if your mindset is that we're a subculture, you will come to a club on Sunday, hear our particular beliefs, but never connect the dot as to why we are here and our mission as a church. 
right? Uh, And it starts with the culture. Watch this, everybody. The culture starts with the culture that we create right in here. It has to start here. Otherwise, we're hypocritical if we don't love each other that we're seated next to because they have a different view of name any topic right now. If we don't have a culture of honor here, we will never have honor to those that aren't even sitting next to us. And so the culture has to start right here. And, and so once again, I would say, let us continue to strive to have a culture at Radius that is a culture of honor and a culture of grace. Now, the book of Daniel, which we're getting ready to dive into, uh, it takes place during what's called the Babylonian uh, exile, okay? It's called the Babylonian exile. I'll spend a little bit more time next week unpacking that. Babylon is in what's now the modern-day Iraq. Now, that's historical. I'm not really all that concerned about that. Next week, I'm not going to talk about the physical Babylon, but that we live in a season right now where the physical Babylon, the geographical Babylon, is no longer exists, but the spirit of Babylon is alive and well in America, everybody. And so we're going to talk about that next week. Um, so Daniel, he is now living in a chaotic very ungodly culture. There is, there is idol worship. There is just, we'll get into it as we go, but some serious things. When we think we got it bad here in America, listen, friends, you could still pick up a Bible. You could still drive to church. You could still stand here, worship the Lord, and say amen to a preacher. I don't think we really have it all that bad after all. Come on, everybody. And you're going to go home and watch Netflix. Can I get an amen, right? So how do we live godly and a, and a, live a godly life in an ungodly culture? It, 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 it's important because in case you didn't realize it, everybody, we are no longer in a Christian nation. If you've been living with your head in the sand and uh, under your honk if you love Jesus bumper sticker and you haven't got outside of the church bubble, America is no longer a Christian nation. That's not my opinion. That is fact. That is fact by the percentage of people that, that, that claim that they are nuns, that they don't believe in God, that it's an ancient story that is out of date. And, and, and just by our general culture shows that we are no longer a nation that believes we are under God. And so, again, the question becomes, how will we respond? Now, the book of Daniel during the Babylonian Empire, let me give you the, uh, I'll break it down a little more next week, but let me give you an overview. The overview is, here is a, a godly nation of Israel, people that follow God. Babylon went in and, and basically invaded Israel and took the people as slaves into Babylon and forced them to live under the culture of Babylon or the spirit of Babylon, an ungodly, pagan-worshipping, idol-worshipping nation. They didn't have the choice to pick it and say, we don't believe in this. They were in a culture that was no longer godly, 
but it's their character and their actions of how they lived in an ungodly nation that became of great interest to me as I've watched our nation and those that sometimes call themselves Christians marching under a Christian flag in how we've responded in the last few years, knowing that every decision that is made in our nation is not first to honor God. Are you following what I'm saying? Okay, so let me give you a rather lengthy scriptural background to everything I just said so you know I'm not making this up, all right? Okay, here we go. Daniel chapter number 1. In the third year, the king of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, so this is the good king, okay? And this Nebuchadnezzar is the bad king. Never name your kid Nebuchadnezzar. It's not a good thing, all right? Okay? That's not good for a lot of reasons, all right? He's going to be in junior high before he knows how to spell his name. Okay, so anyway, all right. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, okay, the king of Babylon went to Israel, came to Jerusalem to besiege it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles of the temple of God. So they not only ravaged the city, they took all the sacred things and brought the godly things and put them in their ungodly temples. All right? Um, and, and these he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. He's kind of, there's a demonstration going on. He, he's trying to, he's making a statement that my little G God is greater than your big G God. How <laughs> I many know he's mistaken? But that's later on. Okay, so here we go. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, then the king ordered Ashpenaz, okay? He's kind of like the general. He's the trainer, all right? The chief of his court officials to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and from nobility. Let me explain what's happening. So they go in, they get all the people, bring them back as slaves. Some will go into the general population as slaves, but Aspenaz, uh, his general, is to pick the best, usually the youngest, the brightest, the strongest, no, no defects, the most muscular, the, all those kind of things. And he's to bring them in, train them for three years so that they won't be slaves in the general population. They're going to be slaves directly in Nebuchadnezzar's courts. Okay, everybody following that? Now let me show you, it's everything I just said is right here. Okay, young men without any physical defect. Uh, another way of saying that is they're strong in stature. They're like some, some translations really means that they're muscular. And, okay, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. Okay, so everything I just said. He was to teach them the language, watch this, this is interesting. So they're to go to school for three years and be taught the language of that culture. Just let that simmer for a minute, all right? He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. So language and literature, isn't that the same? No. It, when they talk about language, it's not just verbal language, but it's the customs of the time is, is basically what's happening. Uh, I think I got a little bit more here. Uh, the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. 
all right? Among those were, that were chosen were from Judah. Watch this. Daniel. Everybody heard of, anybody heard of him? Daniel in the lion's den? Okay. You probably haven't heard of these guys, or maybe you have. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Okay. Their names are going to get changed. We're going to deal with that in just a minute. But everything I just set up, that's it, chapter number one. So here are these godly boys that have been captured and made slaves and forced to live in a non-godly nation. One more question for you. As culture shifts, how will you live? Godly young men, young men, hormones running wild. Come on, somebody. Rebellious by nature. You ever had a teenager, right? And they are taken out of rules and put in an ungodly nation, right? Okay, so I see a couple of responses in America today as to this. How do we live in an in a, in a ungodly nation in a godly way? So I see a couple of things, and here's a couple of responses. Number one, number one, in fact, I put them on the board. We shift and want to the, uh, excuse me, we shift and want the standard of the Bible to shift. This is one of our responses to an ungodly nation, that the church sometimes will shift, and not only will it shift, but it wants the standard of the Bible to shift with it. Well, the Bible didn't really mean that, or the Bible was out of date, or, you know, that doesn't really mean what we think that it means. I mean, come on, God's flexible and He changes. So one of the responses to an ungodly nation is that we shift with culture and expect the Bible to shift with the culture. All right? Hold that. Or here's a second response that I also see. We become so legalistic and rebellious and forget grace and love. I want a rabbit trail so bad right there, but I have a target I'm trying to hit. We will never be able to win people that we've used a Bible verse to exclude them. Okay, all right, that's all I got. Uh, Okay. So, now with this in mind, let me just make a couple declarations. First of all, I'm not the pastor to tell you what to do and what not to do. If you've been coming here for any length of time, you have never heard me preach a message, you gotta, ha, and you oughta, and you shouldn't, and you have to. I don't, I don't preach those kind of messages. I don't, I don't preach messages that tell you what to do and what not to do. Because here's the truth. If I did do that, you wouldn't listen anyway. And those that would listen, watch this, and and compare it up to here. If I was the preacher that told you what to do and what not to do, you wouldn't listen anyway. Or you would listen, and we would become legalistic and religious and a closed circle, and only those that walk like, talk like, sound like us would be allowed into our club. Thus, most of America's churches are 100 people or less because that's how many people they could kind of agree with. But if I can help you fall in love with Jesus and the people that He loves... 
come on, then I have no doubt that when you get Jesus in you, when, you, when you're growing in God, then the Holy Spirit can speak to you and convince you a whole lot better than I can convince you or beat you up. Come on now. So watch this. Let me make this practical. Get ready. Hide your toes under your chairs, okay, in case this is going to offend anybody. So as a church, we're not going to preach the vaccine people are bad. And we're not going to preach the non-vaccine people are bad. Come on, everybody. Because we have all people in the house. All people that love Jesus. All people on their way to heaven. Come on now. Now. Why would I make a statement like that? First of all, because it's on everybody's mind. Second of all, I want you to see something that Radius is purposely not doing, although some of you have tried to tempt me to do it, not you in the room, all those ambiguous people watching online right now. (laughs) See, I could easily build the church right now. In these last two years, I could have easily built the church on the popular, conservative views that are going on right now and all that would happen is we would become a crowd of a certain political mindset a certain conservative mindset everybody but watch this well wait a minute what side are you on why does it matter I'm on God's side See, some of you already feel like I'm excluding you. No, I'm including you by refusing. See, we could have drawn crowds and crowds if I would have got up here. And you know there's some buzz things in the last two years that I could have preached on and built doctrine on and made a big issue of. But that is not the issue. And when I look at Daniel, that is not how Daniel served God in an ungodly nation. Come on. Let me feel your love right there. This is scary to be out here saying these things, all right? Because the moment that I would jump on one side and preach a certain views, then I just excluded the other side that honestly love God but might be struggling because they have a different view. And when did we become a society that stopped loving each other because we have different opinions and views on things that might not even be in the Bible? They're just in your church polity. Ugh. Come on, you know that's good. You don't want to admit it, but it's good, all right? Come on now. Okay. Now, the problem with building on the views or the trends where a nation is at the moment is how many knows those views shift? And when those views shift, if you've built on that, it's like the foolish man that built on the sand because now there's nothing to be anchored in because what was an issue yesterday is no longer an issue today. So what am I even doing here? What do I shout amen to if I'm not shouting amen to Jesus? Come on, are you guys with me? All right. And, and so furthermore, Radius as a church, we, we talk about we are an open circle. The moment I jump on one side, we have just closed the circle. Right, everybody? Now, I'm saying something about me, but I hope you see what I'm doing here. I'm asking you to evaluate you. Is your circle still open? 
Oh, man, I want to say a lot there. Wherever I shut, whoever I shut out, or whoever I, whoever I shut out, I forfeit the opportunity to be on the journey and learn about a God that is bigger than the opinions and the views and the political issues. Come on, and I shut them out, and they may never understand the love of Jesus. Please stop, and let me say this again, please stop picking a Bible verse out of the entire Bible and using it as a way to unlove another group of people, because that, even though it might be in the Bible, is not biblical at all. Come on now. Okay, now, you might be sitting there going, well, that's easy for you, Ken, and you're making some assumptions about my life. For this, what I just said is hard for some. It's hard for me. Because everything about the way our ministry looks, the way culture looks, the way society looks, is completely different than my childhood culture that I grew up in. Can anybody else relate to this? Okay, let me tell you about my, my teenage years just for a minute, okay? I went, uh, I, I lived right outside of Memphis, Tennessee in a small town in Mississippi. And so I went, we weren't only in the Bible Belt, we were the buckle of the Bible Belt. Okay, so, so far, this will be blow some of your minds, so much so that we didn't even have homework on Wednesday nights because every school teacher knew that we were going to midweek Bible study on Wednesday night, so you can't have homework. Teenagers sit there going, thank you, Jesus. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? All right. Not only that, we didn't have any stores open on Sunday at all. It was Sabbath. You went to church and you, you either went and hung out with people or you went home and rested. That, we're talking in my lifetime. I know some of you think I'm old, but I'm talking about in my lifetime, this is what was going on. I was in the extreme Bible Belt, watch this, conservative Christianity. Matter of fact, it was a sin for mixed swimming to happen. Some of you don't, what's that? It means we were not allowed, boys could not swim in the same swimming pool with girls. Come on, I grew up in conservatism. So you hear me up here, but you've got to understand the paradigm and the shift that I've had to walk through and make sure I don't make those things doctrine. Come on, let me make something more practical. I grew up in the era where there was three TV channels. How many know what I'm talking about, right? And I was the remote control, and there was these silver things hanging off the side of the TV. Can I get an amen from that generation? And rotary phones. Five. Four. Three. Oh, I meant five again. Doggone it. Start all over, right? So I've had to make some shifts. Let me, let me tell you how radical my teen years is. Now, I didn't start with the graduate. I graduated in 1985. I did not start kindergarten with that group of kids. I came along uh, somewhere around the ninth grade and graduated with that group of kids. But that group of kids that graduated in 1985 in Coldwater, Mississippi, watch this, everybody. This will blow your mind. Was the first generate, was the first county in Mississippi that had non-segregated black and white starting school and classes together. Yeah, in my lifetime. 
Okay, so I've had to come through some shifts. So how can we shift with culture without compromising our faith? Isn't that the real issue, everybody? Um, the message of the gospel is always going to be sacred. I hope when you come here, you recognize we're always giving you gospel. We're always pointing you towards Jesus, right? We're not preaching messages on what to do and what not to do, but what Jesus has done. Okay, so the message is always sacred, but the method of presenting the gospel has changed. Look at Radius. Have you ever looked around Radius? We got people here that are 20 years old that have never been in church. We got people showing up here that just got released from prison. We got people showing up here that just came out of gangs. And we got people here from other churches that have transitioned. And we got 80 and 85-year-old grandmas and grandpas all sitting in the same black chairs. How in the world can that be? It's not a representation of what's out there because out there, all those groups I just mentioned would be on different sides of fences. Oh, my, my, my. But Jesus is the great equalizer that brings us all together because it's bigger than culture. It's about kingdom, everybody. Come on now. Okay, so we have to build on grace and truth, not opinions and views and what's hot at the time. Okay, so here's where we want to go. Daniel models this for us. When culture shifts, when, when culture goes chaotic, watch this, the ruler of the chaotic world, I'm going to give you three things just to launch the series. When culture shifts and culture goes chaotic, the ruler, who's the devil, of the chaotic world. I mean, no, the devil loves confusion and chaos. He loves when the church gets mixed up in it because then we forget what is it all about. Okay, so when culture goes chaotic and the, and the ruler of the chaotic world, here's what he'll do. Number one, the first thing he'll try to do is he'll attempt to steal your identity. In society, he will make society and the culture of society in such a way that he'll try to steal your identity, all right? Let me dive right into it with scripture. Here's Daniel chapter number one, verse number seven. The chief officials gave them new names. Remember those four guys that I read about a minute ago? Those four guys that were brought out of Jerusalem into an ungodly culture, the enemy wanted to change their names. Watch this. To Daniel, he gave the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, he gave the name, you might have heard of him, Shadrach. If you've watched VeggieTales, I can't remember his name. But anyway, to Mishael, they changed his name to Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. So the enemy is changing their identity. The enemy will always try to steal your identity. That's why America, the enemy has stolen fathers from the home because fathers are the ones that give us our identity and our identity is the doorway to our destiny. And if you don't know who you are, no one has proclaimed who you are, then you lose your way through life and the enemy wins in a chaotic culture. You become just as chaotic as the culture because you have no identity to walk through. Right? The reason the enemy wants to steal your identity is because he is terrified of who you are and who God has called you to be. And if you ever discover God's plans and purposes for your life, and he does everything to keep you from finding out who you were meant to be in Christ. So watch this. Let's, let, let, you ready to dive into the names? This will rock your world. Check this out. So from Daniel, Daniel means, the name Daniel 
living under the, I'm just going to use the word Christian umbrella, Daniel, I'm identified as God is my judge. Mm-hmm. But they bring him into an ungodly nation, and they want to change his identity to Belshazzar, which means, lady, protect your king. Hmm. Imagine being Daniel. Now, I don't want this to say what I'm not trying to say. I'm going to say exactly what I mean and nothing else. And if you try to read between the lines, then you're making it up. All right, everybody? Okay. But one of the enemy's strategies in a chaotic culture is to create gender confusion. I'm going to leave it there. He's no longer a young, strapping man that believes God is my king or my judge. They want to re-identify him and make you question, who are you really? Whether we like it or not, God still created male and female and gave us both roles to fulfill. Now again, if you think those roles are he brings home the bacon and she fries it up in the pan, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about godly roles that he has given each one of us. Come on now, all right? So, so they changed him. They want him to be identified as a lady who is protecting the culture. You guys still with me? Did I just, just excommunicate half of you? I hope I didn't. All right, here we go. Uh, okay, Michelle is the next one. Michelle means God is full of grace. God is full of grace. That's the message that ought to be being preached right now by the children of God. God is full of grace, everybody. All right? But society wanted to change his name to Meshach, which means, or where are we at? God is full of grace, and his name gets changed to, what's happening here? <laughs> Meshach, there we go. I'm despised and humiliated from, there, excuse me, Michelle, there is nobody like my God to, I'm despised and humiliated. That is exactly what society wants us right now. It speaks of shame. It speaks of condemnation. It makes you shut up. It makes you sit down. It makes you be silent because I am despised and I am humiliated by a society for the beliefs that I have. Okay, let's go on. Uh, Ezra, do we got these now? Ezariah? Do we got them? Let's see. Uh, Ezariah, God is my help. Did I do those in order? Uh, okay. Uh, I'm going to go back to the first one in just a minute, okay? Azariah, God is my help. Uh, they change his name to Abednego, which means servant of Nebo. Okay, now let me explain. The enemy wants you, uh, wants you to re-identify from the Son of God to a slave. When he can re-identify you as a slave, you'll be more apt to embrace religion than you will embrace relationship with God. Society is crazy, so everybody goes back to church. My question, listen, when the pandemic, as soon as the pandemic w was released in different parts of the nation, church attendance was at an all-time high. My question is, what kind of church are they going to? Are they going to a church that is naming them that you are a slave to religion? Does that make sense, anybody? I'm looking for a nod of a head or a blink of an eye or something. Okay, let me go all the way back real quick because I want to make sure you get this one. So uh, go all the way back to my first one. Hananiah, God is full of grace, and they change his name to, I am afraid of God. Isn't that what society is trying to do right now? 
I'm afraid of God. What? The enemy is trying to make God look like a moral monster. Listen to society. Well, how can you have a loving God? And they quote some crazy thing out of context from the Old Testament. Right? I'm afraid of God. How could a loving God... Right? Okay. So society, the first thing society will do is try to steal your identity. That's why we are extremely adamant about those four things on the wall. When you come here, we want you to know God. We want you to find freedom. We want you to discover purpose. We want you to know your identity. That's why we do Wednesday night classes of spiritual gifts, because we want you to know that you're not just some random accident, that God created you before he created the foundations of the world, and he put a gift and a plan and a purpose in in your life, despite culture. Amen? Okay, the second thing, i got to hurry now. The first thing he'll do is attempt to steal your identity. The second thing he'll do is attempt to feed you. Now watch this. Does this term sound familiar? Fake news. He's attempting to feed you his narrative. That's why you have to know the truth, everybody. That's why you have to feed on the truth. That's why you have to come to church. And that's why you have to listen to good godly podcasts. That's why you have to worship God. Because you have to feed your spirit. Because the enemy, the chaotic ruler of this chaotic culture, is trying to feed you a narrative. And if that's all you get, that's what you'll begin to believe. Daniel chapter number 1, verse number 8. Here's the proof of that. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. Watch this. And he asked the chief official, watch this, I highlighted this for a reason, permission not to defile himself this way. He asked permission. Did you catch that? Notice that Daniel didn't shame those that were eating the meat. Yeah, go ahead and read between the lines right now. Go ahead. I, I meant for you to that time. Right? He, he, note, Daniel didn't shame those that did not believe the way he believed. This was not a heaven or hell thing, everybody. Mm, okay. <laughs> Notice that Daniel didn't shame those that didn't eat the royal food and the royal wine. In fact, he resolved in himself. In other words, he had his own personal convictions. He didn't necessarily go out and put his convictions on social media. Mm, that sounded mean, didn't it? I'm sorry. I didn't mean it to, all right? He asked permission. He worked in conjunction with the rules that were handed down to him. See, I think that we lose our testimony when we become brash. I think we lose our light when we start acting like the very chaos that we're saying we're against. Well, we'll see how many show up next Sunday. <laughs> see, I have some convictions in my life, and you should have some in yours. I, I have some convictions in my life. I, I'll give you a I, I live by the law first. God is always first in my life no matter what. I give him the first part of every paycheck I get. I give him the first part of my day every single day of my life. I believe in the law first. I have a conviction to love as Christ loved me. It's not always easy, but I have a conviction to love as Christ loves me. That means he loved me when I was an idiot, so I can love idiots. Come on, everybody, right? <laughs> What I'm saying is don't give up on your convictions because the ruler of the chaotic world wants you to. 
Okay, let me go on to number three. The ruler, is this helping anybody? Are you seeing any? Are you connecting any dots, right? Okay, so the ruler of the chaotic world, number three, watch this. He will attempt to test you. So he'll attempt to steal your identity and rename you. Because our identity is the doorway to our destiny. Okay? He'll attempt to feed you false narratives. False narratives about God. Okay? Okay? And then he'll attempt to test you. Um, now, let me, let me give a little more background. When he went and asked permission, hey, I don't want to eat the meat offered to idols and the wine. I don't want to do that. I want to, you, you know, just eat vegetables. And now you got to understand, when he's, when he's asking permission of Aspenaf, uh, the, the, the ruler that's training him, you got to understand, that official, he's afraid. Because he has to present these guys before Nebuchadnezzar. And if they don't look just as strong as when they join the program, how many know Aspenaz, he's dead, right? He's in big trouble, right? And, 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 and so you got to understand that. So, so Daniel didn't want to put him in a bad position. So Daniel, he made the statement, look, I know I'm asking a lot from you, but test me on this. Test me. Give me 10 days of nothing but vegetables, and see if I'm not just as strong as all the other people. That's putting your money where your faith is, right? See, we got a lot of rhetoric today, but do we have anybody that's really willing to step out there and say, yeah, I'll live that way, not just talk that way. You can test me in this. Watch, Daniel chapter number 1, verse number 12 through 14. Here's what it says. Please test your servants for 10 days. Now, why 10? 10 in Scripture is the number of testing. I'll come back to that in just a moment. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat. By the way, everybody, all of you that are on all these fad diets, you ever heard of the Daniel diet? That's where it comes from right there. It comes from the Bible. It's true, okay? Uh, nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food. And treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So go ahead and test me, and I'm willing to submit and follow your way if my God's way doesn't work. I like that. So, so he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days, all right? Now, the, these last two years, how many would just say the last two years have had a few tests in it? Anybody would agree with me? Okay, you know you got to raise your hand for that one, all right? That was a setup. Okay, 10 in Scripture is the number for testing. So that's why, here's a perfect example. A tithe is 10% of our income. And God says, bring your tithe, your 10 back. Why 10? Because it's a test of our faith. It's a test. How many know in these days where it's hard to make ends meet, it's hard to bring back to the Lord something you need to put food on the table? All right? But it's a test. And nothing tests our faith greater than our money. How many know that's true, right? Okay. So now let me tell you, I was tested by a guy one time. Anybody of you ever been tested for your faith? I mean, really tested. Not like, you know, you're a big baby, you go to church. I'm not talking about being called names. But anybody ever been like really tested for their faith? I know, don't you feel like some, one day we're going to be a little bit embarrassed when we go to heaven and we stand before all of them and they, like, they've been tested like, oh yeah, you know what happened to me? I was hung upside down. I was boiled in oil. I, I was, my head was chopped off. What happened to you? They made fun of me. You know, all right? Yeah. <laughs> so, 
But, but it says, I was tested one time in my whole Christian walk. I mean, a few times, but one in a severe. I, I was 18 years old, and I was working at the Memphis International Airport fueling airplanes. And, uh, and in my first six months there, I got awarded the fastest fueler. In other words, I was fasting more planes faster than anybody else with no bad records. And, and, and every day I would have lunch, I would go into the workers' cafeteria with my little red igloo lunchbox. And, and in my lunchbox with my sandwich and my lunch, and I also had a little New Testament in there. And so I'd sit there in the cafeteria, and I'd eat my lunch, and I'd break open, and I'd read some scripture. And... and and one day, a guy came in, and he was mad at me. I think he was mad at me because I bumped him from being the fastest fueler. And he came in, and he says, you don't believe that stuff you're reading. How I many know I was in for a test? He said, you don't believe that stuff you're reading. I said, yes, I do. And, and he said, no, you don't. You want me to prove it? And I said, sure, prove it. And he hauled off and slapped me across the cheek. And I had a, four red fingers right on my cheek. He said, see? Because your Bible says that if you get slapped, to turn to the other cheek. So I stood up. And I said, I do believe it. And he hauled off, and he slapped me a second time across the second cheek. I mean, I looked like Bozo the Gun, four big red fingerprints on both sides of my face. And then I jumped on him and grabbed him around the neck and started choking. And I quoted this scripture, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. I believe the word... <laughs> I'm saved, but I still need work. How many know what I'm talking about, right? Now, that may have happened or may not have happened. I'll let you let your imaginations run wild with that one. Therefore, when the culture is chaotic, be prepared, everybody, to be tested. We all want to go back to the good old days. Be prepared to be tested. Daniel chapter number 1, verse number 15 I probably won't read all of this for the sake of time. Daniel chapter number 1, uh, do we have verse number 15 through 20. At the end of the 10 days, watch this, at the end of the testing, what will happen? You have to look at the person in the mirror. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier. Can I just say, this message is not about money, but it's just crazy. I've been tithing 10% of my income a minimum since I was 14 years old. I've never missed I think my finance, listen, I have been materially blessed way more than the income I've ever got. I look healthier is what I'm saying. At the end of 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. In other words, God was glorified. They did it not by protesting and being nasty and mean and vindictive. They did it by saying, look, you can test us. I'm asking for your permission to operate as my convictions allow me in a world that has gone crazy. Can you say a good amen right there, everybody? All right. I'm not going to read... The rest of that, if you want to jot that down, I think it's in, on your app or in your notes if you're online. Okay, I believe this. When we keep our convictions, and we're not brash, but we keep our convictions with honor, with humility, and with grace, then God will be in charge of lifting us up and making us look better than the rest. It's not my job to look good. It's my job to live with convictions in a chaotic world. 
Okay, now let me go revisit something real quick in closing. Okay, Ken, well, what do we do about this? Man, I'm still trying to connect the dots. Well, we're on part number one of a five-part series, first of all, so you need to come to the rest of these. But I want you to notice the three points that we talked about. The enemy will try to steal your identity. The enemy will try to feed you, and the enemy will test you. It's a matter of trust. So let's, let's contextualize Daniel and let's put it in our own life. How, how do we live in this chaotic culture? Number one is that we address the identity issue. Our identity is not what the world says we are. Our identity is not what your mom and dad might have said you are. Your identity is not what your failure says that you are. Your identity is not what your abuser says you are. Your identity is not what society says you are. Your identity is not what your ex says you are. Your identity is not what, come on, are you guys getting the picture? Your identity, men and women of God, your identity is in Christ Jesus, and you are the head, and you are not the tail, and you are always above, and you are never beneath. No matter how much society changes, your identity is in a Jesus that's already conquered it all. Come on and give him a good hand clap. All over now. Number two. The enemy will try to feed you. So how do I deal with that? You have got to feed on the truth. The Bible says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Don't spend time on false narratives. Don't let your imagination run wild. What's going to happen five years from now when the news says, no, don't feed on speculation. Don't feed on the promises of society or politicians for that matter. Feed on the truth of God's word. Word, you will know, watch this, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, who is the truth? Jesus is the truth. And if you know Jesus, then he will set you free from the fears of a chaotic society. Come on now. Number three. He will try, he, he, will, he will test you, or there will be a test. This speaks of trust. So number three is you have to trust, not in the promises of society, not in, the, not in your 401k, not in your job, not in your company, not in all those things. Those are just things that we have while we're passing through. Our trust cannot be, come on already. We still have people wanting to do a re-election. Your trust is not in a man. Your trust is in Jesus, everybody. No matter what man sits in the White House, God is still in the house. Come on, everybody. Right? I know. I slipped up. I made a little politics right there. But, but friends, please, revival isn't coming through the White House. Revival's coming through the church house, everybody, where God sits on the throne. So th why do we get all flustered about that? Jesus already said, you're going to see some of this stuff. So trust in me when the winds are blowing. Look at me, Peter, instead of sinking in the water. Trust me. Look at me when the storm is raging around. Friends, this message is not to beat up on anybody that stands on either side of any view that's going on in the nation. What we have to first do is stand on the rock of Jesus Christ and trust in Him. Amen, everyone? So remember this. Remember John chapter number 13, verse number 34 through 35, and i got to be done. I'm out of time. And here's what it says. Love one another. By this, by this, everyone will know you're my disciples. 
Not if you win your argument. Not if you prove your point. Not if you criticize the same people they criticize. No, by the way, you love one another. Now, it's not just loving the person. It's also loving the other person that the person you love is criticizing. Well, all right. I'm going to go home feeling very lonely today. All right, everybody? Did you connect any dots? How do we live in a culture of chaos? I'm going to stop right there. Let's pray.